Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Incomparable, number 629, August 2022. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your guest host, Moises Chuyan. And today on the show, we are going to discuss what I consider one of the great movies of the year and um, which also rocketed toward the top of my personal favorite movies. And that is Everything Everywhere All at Once from Directors The Daniels, uh, 2022's movie that began uh, its production not in a pandemic and then completed its production during a pandemic and managed to deliver an incredible story about using all powerfulness not to destroy, but to learn about other people. Helping me learn about myself and one another is a distinguished panel, the alpha panel, as we will distinguish them, um, as they are the first of two to be recorded. Uh, first laughing uh, you hear right there is the always googly eyed Gene McDonald. How's it going, Gene? <laughs> oh, it's going well. And uh, yeah, we're the alpha panel because we invented podcasting and we shared it with the other verses so happy to be here <laughs> we're just driving around driving around in an rv trying to connect with other podcasters <laughs> uh also joining me this evening is brian hamilton how are you doing brian ow what happened to my hand i think i just first jumped back <laughs> into the vc universe sorry <laughs> <laughs> and finally last but certainly not least it's sandra wong how's it going sandra it's going well. I do feel that you're all quite lucky that we're recording this in very different places because um, I, at any moment, I might just blow up your nose. I'm just not going <laughs> to, you're just not going to know. It might just happen at any time. So count yourselves lucky. Well, uh, indeed, uh, you know, one of us in Texas, one of us on the West Coast, one of us on the East Coast, and one of us all the way up north of the wall in Canada. Um, I, <laughs> I, I think uh, there's, a, there's a diversity of life experience represented here on the show, uh, as there is in the movie. Um, and I, mm -hmm. I, it, it took me, I, I've seen this movie six times now. Um, I think it took mm. me until my second viewing to realize that when... When our characters arrive in an IRS office, we have four cinema legends sitting down and playing in front of us. And they're just so good that I'm not busy thinking about who they are in real life because I am so immersed in who they are in this world. Uh, without further ado, I, I should mention that we are going to be spoiling things real quick and real fast uh, because I don't know that there is uh, much of another way to talk about things. But to the extent that we can, before we blow a spoiler horn, um, I'm assuming the three of you also enjoy this movie. How would you recommend it to somebody who has not seen it yet or who may be difficult to win over because perhaps they, they prefer uh, watching Doctor Strange fight um, giant tentacled monsters in their multiverse movies? <laughs> <laughs> I just have like uh, two words, Michelle Yeoh, 
That's it. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Just watch it. This is a movie that I always recommend people watch knowing nothing, going in Mm -hmm. without any preconceived notions about what this movie might be, except for the fact that everyone's friends are saying that this is one of the greatest movies ever made is how I feel. I would recommend that you're going to go on a journey. I would tell them that it might be difficult at times, but you'll get through it and you'll laugh and cry the entire time like a perfect classic Hollywood movie, even though this is like a much smaller budget than something like the aforementioned Doctor Strange. <laughs> um, I think I have said to people that, uh, you know, who, who may not go to a movie that is this, say, experimental and daring uh, in their regular movie viewing and, and say, you, you will... Um, you will love these characters and it really doesn't matter how crazy the movie is. It's still a story that you will completely relate to and mm-hmm. cry at the end. So that's my Yeah. It's, it's very much one part sci-fi weirdo uh, experimental a 24 movie and one part domestic drama just mashed together in a bowl, turned inside out and then shot through a black hole. Um, it, it's uh, <laughs> It, it touches all parts of the human experience. It is uh, sometimes a little bit existential and other times a lot existential, uh, sometimes very literal and sometimes so incredibly phenomenological. Um, yeah. If, uh, if you don't know Michelle Yeoh and this is your introduction to her, congratulations. You have a lot of homework to do. Um, if you, <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't blame you if you only know Ki Kwan from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or the Goonies. Um, and this marks his, his return to Hollywood after a long, long time away. And uh, having seen him at comic conventions for years, I'm glad to see the full spectrum of what he is capable of rather than him just being equated to, Oh yeah. You know, that Asian kid from a couple of movies in the eighties. Um, because after all of that, he became a fight coordinator himself and a whole lot of the stunt work that you see him doing in this movie is him doing it himself. Um, Mm. the inimitable Mr. James Hong, um, in his nineties, uh, killing it as always. Um, (laughs) the, uh, the also legendary Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, really relishing getting to not have to be glamorous actress, Jamie Lee Curtis, and just chew on a really nice character part. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Stephanie Hsu, um, who some people know from Gilmore Girls, some people know from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, but who, similar to Ki Kwan, really gets to stretch in this role in ways that I had never gotten to see her do. Uh, and if that's um, the last thing I leave you with before we, um, we blow the multiversal spoiler horn, um, it's, it's that. This, this is a movie where you get to see uh, a lot of people do a lot of wild stuff that you may go in expecting. <laughs> and even if you go in trying to expect some of what they deliver, guess what? Um, have <laughs> I got a raccoon coming out of nowhere for you? Uh, so let's blow off the spoiler horn and, uh, and, and get things off to the races. Now that we are in spoiler territory, I want to say that Rakakuni 
is the single most precious spoiler of anything. I try to keep away from anybody who has not seen this movie. Whenever we talk about everything mm-hmm. everywhere all at once, I do not mention Rakakuni whatsoever. It was my single favorite reveal in the entire movie. <laughs> they took a one-off joke and turned it into a subplot. It's my favorite thing in the entire movie. The, the origin of this is apparently that uh, someone's parent was just notorious for uh, completely butchering the titles of things in ways that didn't make any sense <laughs> whatsoever. And the way that Michelle Yeoh plays it is so perfectly uh, authentic. Um, other thoughts on Rakakuni, the real star of the movie? <laughs> well, I was excited to see Harry Shum Jr. Um, <laughs> as you I always are, f- Jane. Yes. As you always yes. are. I was a fan, you know, of Glee, of him and Glee especially, and also him in, in iPod commercials back in the day. He was uh, one of those <laughs> famous iPod dancers, and he is an amazing dancer. And I would say that's my biggest disappointment in this movie is he doesn't actually do any dancing. Yeah, you know, I think that, um, <laughs> I think it was great to have Harry Shem Jr. be the mm, puppet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for Rakakuni. That was hilarious. I think it was interesting that like um, in terms of like production design to make, you know, to make the choice that Rakakuni looks so obviously fake. I really, <laughs> I really thought that was a really great creative choice too. I agree. I feel like when it comes to Rakakuni and the rocks and all of the, oh, I was about to say practical effects, but I don't want to piss off Todd Vaziri, who I love. Uh, the idea that we're doing physical <laughs> puppetry in this movie that is very obviously fake, but is done with so much charm that it almost doesn't matter. I think that's one of the greatest things that this movie has. It swings for the fences with something as silly as Rakakuni, as the rocks, as the pinatas, as uh, a lot of the uh, you know sausage, the hot dog finger things. I feel like that's one of the highlights of the movie for me as well. Well, Brian, you mentioned you don't want to uh, piss off Todd Vaziri, but this is going to be the Todd Vaziri section of the show uh, because <laughs> I, I very much want to talk about the the practical versus digital effects side of things where um, I want to believe uh, that this is a case where you have two commercial and music video directors who have also done features, yes, um, who as a team very much uh they they breathlessly planned loads of fight sequences uh major effect sequences they made very specific choices way early on before cameras even rolled in ways that the 200 million dollar marvel movies and other movies like them don't and make decisions after the fact and then leave it to video effects houses to just figure out in the computer later on, uh, them making the level of intentional choices that they made, like with Rakakuni, the things they decided they definitely wanted to be practical. Uh, late in the film, uh, the the bit where um, uh, where uh, and this is another thing that I didn't I actually didn't notice until I watched it with commentary. Um, you mm-hmm. see Michelle Yeoh doing like a Naruto run in the background, and then she's leapt onto the stairway in the way of Jobu and her her people right toward the very end, like last half hour of the movie. Um, they they do a Texas switch, and a Texas switch is where um, where you you basically play a visual trick in camera. And so they had a stunt double dressed as Michelle Yeoh's character, and then moved past something that made it look like she leapt over and through the frame. There was not a single. Uh, digital effect that was used to accomplish making it look like she had leapt across and then landed on the staircase. They just did a simple, uh, a simple uh, bait and switch. 
And that kind of intentionality is something that is missing from a lot of especially event movie directing, um, but but anything that is relying heavily on, on visual effects. I mean, they had a larger budget than other movies, sure, but um, exponentially less than Doctor Strange 2, uh, <laughs> than Thor 4, than any superhero movie with a number in the title or it, that doesn't have a number in the title that might as well have a number in the title. Um, uh, what does everybody else think about the the balance of things that you can that you can tell are digital effects and things that look like Jamie Lee Curtis doing a flying knee jump on a wire <laughs> and they just erase the wire? Um, that that really is is one of my favorite things about the movie is is that they play in these sandboxes of kung fu movie um, action extravaganza all this kind of stuff and found the most effective ways to do things. And the most effective way to do things was almost never spend a bunch of money. Yeah. Well, okay. Before I answer that in earnest, Mm -hmm. I want to just like my disclaimer is I do also enjoy those huge comic book movies Um, and they have their place, right? And they have their place in one's viewing schedule an entertainment repertoire. So having said that, I'm going to say that um, I, I'm guessing it must partly be an homage, right, to classic kung fu films, uh, which mm-hmm. were real practical effects. Um, and, and people spent time and effort and energy and money coming up with ways to make those effects look effortless, look real. So I loved that part of this film. Um I love that it just had, and maybe maybe it's because of this um, adherence to um, uh, what what can we call it classical ways of making film that um, for me contributed to this film having so much heart. So not only was mm-hmm. the story you know about family drama, um, about family relationships, about family period. Um, as well as the immigrant experience that's always in the background, I think, with a lot of um, stories about diaspora families. But, uh, uh, you know, in addition to that, and, and the beautiful themes of that story of family, it's just that I think the way that they made this film with practical effects in so many different areas, with really um, considered, thoughtful approaches, I think that just, it comes through and that for me comes through as, oh yeah, this film has so much heart and has such a soul. Um, So I think that's partly why, maybe that's just how they make films, the Daniels, all the time. I don't know, you know, do they do that on their own? I I don't, I'm not uh, super familiar with their individual repertoire. Um, If they continue to make films together, will it always be like this? I hope so. But yeah, yeah, I just love that. You could see that the, there's love behind this kind of movie making. Maybe I think that's what we're talking about, that that's the comparison we're making, right, Moises? Like, there doesn't feel like a lot of love in VFX, yeah. <laughs> effects, you know, farming it out. And then, yeah, and then having read like things about, you know, how VFX artists are, are having a really tough time of it, right? So, yeah. Anyway, I'm not yeah, going to get so, into union busting and all that stuff. So let's just stay on track, Sandra. <laughs> I get it. Well, I mean, there, there really is something to, uh, you know, something feeling handmade and bespoke, mm. uh, whether it's a gift that you're giving someone or a movie like this. It, it, you can feel people's hands and fingerprints on it. Um, and that certainly makes it feel like a lot of the Michelle Yeoh films that, um, th- that, that have various bits of influence on stylistic choices here. Um, you know, she never worked with Wong Kar Wai, um, 
but you know we have some one car Y filmmaking techniques that that take place in the in the alt universe that, that mm-hmm. is uh, essentially mm-hmm. just drawn out of in the mood for love and um, days of being wild and, and and other things like that. Um, Gene, how how do you feel about the the choices made? You know, pra- the mixture of practical and digital effects and and making the um, most of both sides of things. Well, uh, sort of uh, going on from what Sandra said, I. Um, so I've seen the movie four times and I watched the last time I watched it was with the director commentary. And so one of the things though, that I had already heard from the film, cause actually I took a class at our local, um, film art house. They did a four week class where we watched this movie every week for four weeks with a different, uh, spin on it. And you'd think I'd come out of that with like so much, you know, knowledge to drop. (laughs) But the fact is every time we watched it, I'd start off with, okay, I'm going to pay attention now. Like this week we're paying attention to the soundtrack, you know, or we're paying attention to the visuals. And then as soon as the movie was over, I'd say, oh, I forgot to pay attention, you know, that way. I just was watching it again and I couldn't help it. Um, It's a hard, it just distracted me. Literally every, the teacher said in the the first uh, class, I I went to see it in the theater once and then I went to the class. Um, They said, um, the there's a sign in the in the laundromat that says three loads recommended and that's a a message from the Daniels that they recommend you see this movie three times and every time I said okay I'm going to watch for that sign now because I didn't see it the last time and then I would miss it again like things that it's so you know it's a, a lot of overwhelm I suppose but um as far as the effects go um, yes, they're especially listening to the commentary is great because, you know, they, they will say, oh, yeah, that thing where we we, you know, took this pipe and we we went super slow mo slamming it into Michelle Yeoh's face. You know, we didn't slam it. We went really slow and then we speeded it up. I was like, oh, I'm glad to hear that, you know, you didn't hit her. But <laughs> other th- <laughs> the other thing, though, about the digital effects, th- I think equally you know, uh, manifest a kind of love because they did the, the, the digital effects were done by the Daniels and a few of their friends because it was pandemic, you know, when they were, when they were producing the film after shooting it and they decided they would just learn how to do it and do it themselves. And they had, and I thought, that's really interesting, you know, like, so I feel like the, even the, the things that are done, you know, clearly done as um, digital things have a, have a more hand crafty feel. Mm. Brian, any additional thoughts? Moises, you mentioned earlier the moment when we had four acting legends all on screen together doing mm-hmm. this incredible back and forth at the IRS office. It reminded me how much of a risk everybody had to take on this movie that these actors trust Daniels that A24 trust Daniels you know Daniels aren't you know unknown they've done Swiss Army Man they've done a bunch of other uh music videos and commercials they're known but this is such a massive weird strange project that it makes me so happy that people trusted the script and everything but also that they trusted that the movie would look good 
on a movie with a budget like this, doing the kind of multiverse thing that you know, Marvel only just started doing is <laughs> impressive and incredible. I don't know. I, I love that they were they got the group of people to trust them with this material, these actors and this whole wild concept to put it out and put as much money behind it as they did. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Well, to the extent that we can, let's try stepping through the movie chronologically. Um, uh, we, we open on a, a glimpse of the central family of Evelyn, our main character, uh, her daughter, Joy, and her husband, Waymond. And they seem to be having a good time uh, watching TV, you know, doing something um, just joyful and happy. And then it cuts to now and Evelyn is dealing with a long pending tax situation. And um, I got to say from, uh, from the first few details of just the way that they production designed this apartment um, to the particular choice of rice cooker to the, the, the uh, you know, the, the stuff that you get at a Chinese supermarket that I remember from growing up. Um, I, I am very much not alone in, in feeling, <laughs> uh, in feeling like um, they really got, uh, the vibe of this family who lives above their own laundromat um, and and lives within a culture that I I partially grew up in, um, and the the authenticity is there from the jump. Um, oh, I, I, I knew that apartment. I like felt that apartment, <laughs> Moises. Like, oh my god. What was it that, god, just a, that got you? Like, really, just a really quick point is that very very first scene. I think what they're doing as a family is singing karaoke. Yeah, yeah they're carrying yeah, karaoke. Karaoke is a big deal in this movie. It turns out <laughs> there's a um, deleted scene where uh, we see the extended opening on the Blu-ray. I own the Blu-ray. Uh, I've not okay. seen the commentary like all of y'all, unfortunately. But there's an extended version of that where we actually hear what they're singing, and I won't spoil what they're actually singing because it's a oh, fun okay. delight to go and watch. And and that I've listened to the commentary twice, but I haven't watched the deleted scene. So now I'm going to do that. This uh, episode of The Incomparable brought to you by the Everything Everywhere All at Once Blu-ray, available in HD, <laughs> 1080p, and 4K UHD. Um, uh, yeah, it, 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 it just, it feels like people who really exist in the world, which not all, I mean, this wasn't fully indie scale, but, um, art house scale movie productions don't always do a good job of that. Or they, they try too hard to do that in dialogue where Mm -hmm. we get it in that brief, um, wordless glimpse at them in a mirror and then we get to see where they live and, and, you know, stirring the noodles on the, on the, uh, on the stove. And we're, we're in the middle of the chaos of real working class life. Um, we meet Joy's girlfriend, uh, Becky, uh, and that's a thing that Evelyn has not quite, uh, confronted or accepted. Um, she tolerates it more than accepts it. Um, we, we, we have an allusion to Gong Gong, uh, granddad mm-hmm. played by James Hong, who we don't quite see yet. Um, 
and Waymond shows up and he's got divorce papers. And that's, that's a whole bundle of drama in the first, I don't know, two minutes of the movie. Um, that is like the pot on the stove, um, you know, ready to, ready to burn, ready to boil over one of the two. Um, how, how do the, the three of you feel about this introduction to the family and how we're set up with our central group of characters that we're going to see through the movie? This is our first nod to, oh, Gong Gong's from a different generation. First nod to different generations and the divide between all of them. I like that moment. Yeah, just uh, when Wayman's walking around like and Evelyn's sitting at the table, that feeling of you are too busy to, you know, I know you don't have time now, but could we find a time when you're not doing this? Like, cause, so we can talk and you know the answer is like, no, never. It's not going to happen. She's, you know... She's overwhelmed with uh, responsibilities, and she is, is, anyway, I thought that was, um, that interaction right away, you know, you knew the setup of this couple, and, and that, of course, that makes it interesting where that goes eventually. I thought it was a brilliant way, just like you were talking about, Moises, about the, again, like production design of that the setting of that apartment and the layer, the layering of that um, apartment. Um, and then to see Evelyn at that desk, which you know, it's probably looks like something exploded on there all the time. It just so happens that this mm-hmm. time it's receipts. And I thought it was just so brilliant to have the security camera of the laundromat over her shoulder because that is a visual representation of her mind her life Mm. where there's like a million different things going on all from different angles but essentially nothing is moving because mostly in what you see is that i remember i've only watched this film twice um so i need to watch (laughs) at least one more time apparently but um that i recall there's very little movement in those security screens in that first shot um and i think that it's this grand wonderful metaphor for evelyn Mm. who is never present she is not present to her life. She has got a million things to do, but she doesn't really see the people around her or really get the people around her or really, I hate to say this, care about the people around her. Not in this moment in her life anyway. She's very absorbed in the things that she's not happy about. So I, I love that introduction. It just like, boom, you know exactly uh, that it's a chaotic busy, hectic life, and at the same time, kind of normal for a lot of middle-aged women who are mothers. So we take a jaunt downstairs. Uh, we meet a regular customer played by Jenny Slate, along with uh, some, uh, an, uh, at least uh, one or two customers that we end up seeing later on in different contexts. and Including Santa Claus from I Think You Should Leave Season 2. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and, uh, and Evelyn... Evelyn uh, refers to Jenny Slate, uh, Jenny Slate's character as having a big nose, which is um, uh, double racist. And, uh, and, and, you know, she means it uh, racist in, in the way that uh, um, Asian people of a certain generation refer to all white people um, and probably is completely oblivious to the second way in which she's being racist, talking about a Jewish woman having a big nose. Um, 
And uh, I, it made me cringe, but it was authentic. Um, and I, I think it's, it's, it's important to have representations of racism uh, in, in media that reflect the way that people actually are. Um, it's not so casual, um, but it's, it's, not, it's not something that she even uh, comprehends as, as being terribly wrong. Uh, coming back around to the way that she, she doesn't see how her worldview that causes her daughter so much grief, um, how, how there's anything wrong with it because it's her worldview and, and we're really fertilizing the ground with all of this generational trauma (laughs) going on. (laughs) Um, and it's just, uh, it's not, it's not said demonstrably. It's just, um, it feels casual. It feels like this is just a natural part of, of her life. And so we get to see the way that the laundromat itself is actually functioning, um, before Gong Gong shows up and, uh, some, some people go back upstairs and some people hang out downstairs. Um, and this is around the zone in which we get our first taste of the weirdo sci-fi world of stuff. How do, how do people feel about, uh, the, the glance into the life of the laundromat downstairs? I love seeing, like like you mentioned, like the little microaggressions, not only that Evelyn perpetrates, um, but also that are perpetrated upon her by, um, I don't even remember the character's name, but you referenced his Santa Claus from, <laughs> from that other <laughs> mm-hmm. show, um, and how he just uh, fetishizes Evelyn. And like, this is, this is her life, that she has to be kind and nice uh, to this creepy client who just wants to sniff her. Like that's just so wrong on so many levels. I like felt that viscerally. I just wanted to push him, like punch him in the face <laughs> or worse. Um, and then it just like get away. Like I just cringed every time I see that, that sniffing that he does around Evelyn. It's just yeah. oh, drives me nuts. Um, but yeah, yeah. I thought it was great. It's like, that's life. That is life for a, a woman of color. That is life for, you know, um, a person of color who's just trying to run their business and they have to take all kinds. So yeah, I thought that was really effective. And Evelyn telling her daughter that she's getting fat. Oh boy, did that take me back? Um, mm. <laughs> because oh boy, did I, oh boy. I, I mean, I've, I got that as recently as a few months ago. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, it just, uh, really, really painting a, a fleshed out, uh, portrait of, of, uh, of who she and her world are. Uh, Brian Jean, uh, thoughts about the, the world of the laundromat. The way that we see Waymond become Alpha Waymond, even though we don't know that yet, and then start doing cartwheels across the machines and doing something other than that. This movie is a masterclass in teaching people, the audience, how this sci-fi world works. From that one little reference all the way through to the perfectly paced and spaced scenes that are like, okay, if you focus on this, you're in this universe. Then later on, you can put your shoes on the other way and then you'll be here. And then we see the aspect ratio changes between the other universes and the rest of their lives. It's a perfect way to begin that whole process of demonstrating how this multiverse madness works. And a perfect example of something I did not see the first time. <laughs> the Wayman, uh, Alpha Wayman on the security camera um, because kind of like Evelyn, I was not really paying attention to that and uh, I wasn't expecting it. I guess the first time I saw the movie, I didn't know what was going to happen next. <laughs> so that may, the idea that there would be, you know, a different Wayman on the camera, but uh, once you know it's there, it's a very... Uh, sweet 
uh, little trick. And I feel like very smart now when I notice it. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, the laundromat generally, gosh, it just made me kind of feel personally hot and sweaty, you know, of like, Mm. oh, you know, it's been a long time since I was a regular customer of a laundromat and hanging out and, you know, with loud machines and all of that. And they really did capture that well. And, and kind of the chaos, just the general chaos of, of the, the physical plant itself. Like when they were talking about painting and like that's, oh, I painted it. Did you use the right white paint? You know, we have upstairs white and downstairs white and whatever, like just keeping things going. Um, yeah, you could see it's like a, a never ending task. Another one of the first references to the bagel and circles and everything that we see later on is that first shot of the uh, washing machine going around where we mm-hmm. then pan to uh, Jobu Tupaki before she uh, is revealed to be Jobu Tupaki. I think it is mm. a nice way to... Th- that's one of the things that you notice when you rewatch this movie is all the circle imagery, all the bagel imagery, mm-hmm. all of the like chaos imagery within those circles. That was one that stood out to me too. Yeah, the the motifs that are introduced early on, they're all in here. And uh, I have gotten something different out of each time that I've watched the movie. And people say that about movies. And then about two or three viewings in, you go, okay, I think uh, I think I'm done noticing new stuff. But that that I get to experience (laughs) that with this one. I 100% Um, did. No big deal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Um, so in, in the interest of, uh, of uh, subjectivity and uh, getting all the way through things, um, we're going to be jumping launching pad to launching pad um, from piece to piece to piece. Uh, and please stop me if, uh, if you'd like for us to take a moment before <laughs> developing yet another set of powers and abilities. Um, but, but our next scene uh, that we shift to, uh, during which a lot of consequential stuff happens, is we head down to the IRS office where we've got to go before the party that night because today's the last day to put this stuff in. Um, And we meet Miss Deirdre, who has some very curiously shaped trophies and um, (laughs) a very, very specific way of doing business, and that is her way or the highway. Uh, And this uh, this is where... This is where we uh, we have some some weird stuff happen in an elevator, some weirder stuff happen in a broom closet, and some yet weirder stuff happen all across this entire floor of this set of offices. Um, and to to kick things off, um, I I love the way that we are introduced to the weird metaphysics of this multiverse and have it established in ways that remind me of Hong Kong movies that, that do ridiculous things and set up ridiculous stakes. Um, and at the same time have this undercurrent of something very visceral, very real happening for people where we get to see, um, 
Ki Kwan, for example, playing the very realistic stakes of a man in domestic drama who has has always been the doting, you know, silly dad, um, doting husband, um, but who has has gotten to the point where he just is having to ask for a divorce. And then a few minutes later is in full on specifically Jackie Chan fight mode uh, with, yeah. a, with a fanny pack, a uh, bum bag, depending on the country <laughs> you're from. Um, and the, the levels and styles of wild surreality that we get here would be enough for some movies, but this is just, this is just the first act. Um, what grabbed everybody about, about the IRS, uh, building, uh, from, from arrival to, to the, the end of that big first fight. Let's, let's start, let's start sitting down with Jamie Lee Curtis. How, how is it sitting down with Ms. Deirdre? There you go for it, Sandra. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, first of all, you know, like I knew it was Jamie Lee Curtis, but I was like, is that Jamie Lee Curtis? Uh, and she was fantastic. Just like the the worn down, ground down, cranky, uh, obstreperous civil servant. Um, and like this is her domain and she has like a little bit of power and she's going to wield it over you. And just how rude she was and how mean and how dismissive when she would speak to Evelyn. And also the fact, um, I found this really interesting. So the last name in English is spelled W-A-N-G. So of course, most English speakers will say Wang, but really, uh, it's Wong. It's, it's anyway. So the fact for me that yeah. uh, Miss Deirdre kept saying Wang to me was a microaggression, yeah. um, which just spoke Absolutely. all the way back to when, when Chinese names were, you know, transliterated into English by immigration officers, et cetera, et cetera. So like, just like the setup for Miss Deirdre and, and how, um, the colors that they chose for her costuming. Oh my God. A whole, I could do a whole like three podcasts on costuming in this film. But anyway, like the colors they chose for Miss Deirdre were just so off-putting. It was so perfect. Well, guess what? Jamie Lee Curtis chose that outfit. So there's a yes. bit on the Blu-ray uh, where all the actors, you know, sang the praises of Daniels and it was really incredible how they balanced both this extremely intricate pre-planned wild multiverse movie with letting all of the actors make their own decisions and play around in these spaces. So, so much of the costumes and outfits and character decisions for all the actors were chosen by the actors. And Jamie Lee Curtis has a whole bit about how she decided Deirdre wears a wrist brace and wears this exact color and uh, Mm. always drinks this weird milk drink. Like it's a wonderful (laughs) moment that where you see Jamie Lee Curtis deciding all of these things, highly recommend that uh, feature out on the Blu-ray. Awesome. That is so Uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I when I first saw her, I thought I was a little bit like off, put off because I thought she was wearing some kind of you know fat suit to put it you know bluntly because it just seemed like and I was disappointed. I was like, oh, you know, did she did they have to go there? Um, but I did learn later, like, nope, that's her. Uh, doing, you know, the character physically, again, a physical, uh, a true, genuine effect of some, you know, she says, I never get to let my stomach, (laughs) you know, (laughs) just let my stomach muscles relax. And so this is what you get. And then, of course, later, you know, when she's, um, you know, in uh, another, you know, another Deirdre from another universe, and, you know, she's going to start fighting. She, she, she transforms again to to more 
you know, a different like body shape anyway. So I thought that, I thought it was interesting because I I was, she really ends up turning into like a horror monster in in, movies that she played the opposing role in. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. She knows a little bit. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I think one of the Daniels said, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis knows something about horror. Who knew? Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I, I I don't know. It just, like I said, it it, it sort of bothered me in the beginning because um, I thought, why do they have to do that? But of course they didn't do that. And and it was was acting. Um, So I I liked that. And yes, I noticed that with her constantly going, Mrs. Wang, Mrs. Wang. And I mean, it was just... It was it was very cringe. I mean, super cringy, and definitely before anything goes into any of the 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 science fictiony parts of this movie, just that scene of them sitting there talking about the taxes is uh, um, the character. You know, the the character of Deirdre is very uh, is is very uh, foreboding, intimidating, threatening feeling. So. Just jumping off of what you said, Jean, is just like, I think that's part of why the, the like, not so science fiction stuff works is because there's this underpinning mm-hmm. of reality of like mm-hmm. life experience that many of us, if not all of us, many of us anyway, can like really get at a visceral level, like being called to called to the carpet by an IRS agent or, you know, some tax agent or some, some bureaucrat, some civil servant. We've all, right. uh, if you've been to the DMV, you know what this is like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And marbled into the sequence, we have a fast forward uh, series of vignettes where we, we get a look at Evelyn's life and we, we learn that she disobeyed her, her father's, uh, direct command, um, to go live and be with Waymond. And she, she made a choice that changed her life when she went to live with this man who in in an elevator is now, uh, you know, uh, popping open umbrellas and talking all weird, um, (laughs) and, uh, and giving her bizarre instructions and her life is truly never going to be the same from the moment she walks into this building. Um, how, uh, how, how do we, how do we, uh, how do we feel about the, uh, the initial, uh, uh, verse jumping, uh, introduction that we get here, the Alice through the looking glass stuff that, uh, that she is guided through by Alpha Waymond, who we don't yet know is Alpha Waymond. The aspect ratio change here, freaking mind blowing. I went to film <laughs> school. I love aspect ratio. I pay attention to that crap <laughs> all the time. And the way that the elevator doors opened into the four by three aspect ratio blew my mind. And I think the moment I knew I would love this movie and probably cry a little bit was the first cut back to Michelle Yeoh with tears in her eyes, smiling at the awe of everything that had happened to her and reliving it while it was still in four three. That moment was extremely special to me. So we uh, we jump to another universe. Uh, we see our first uh, instance of of alternate Deirdre, Alpha Deirdre, um, as as the chief flunky to the uh, the the shadowy figure that we learn to be uh, mm-hmm. Jobu Tupaki, um, who uh, Evelyn misnames multiple times throughout the movie. Yes. Um, Joju Tobaki, uh, Juju Chewbacca, uh, and and so on. <laughs> Um, He's just making noises now. 
Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, we uh, we get we get to a bit where uh, where eventually uh, Evelyn Evelyn takes the fight back um, that uh, that apparently Jamie Lee Curtis wanted to just keep reshooting and reshooting because she was getting to get punched in the face by Michelle Yeoh, and uh, who among <laughs> us would not take that exact same opportunity? Um, one of my favorite settings for action sequences are mundane office settings mm. because mm-hmm. I hate offices that are set up like this so much. I love watching them be destroyed. Um, I don't think those fish in the fish tank are going to miss that gravel too much. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> I, I don't think the fish were harmed. Usually action movies like destroying fish tanks. Not a big fan of that. Um, but uh, but I, I, I enjoy I enjoy seeing stunt performers used like they are in this sequence and as we see them throughout the movie. Um, again, part of the behind the scenes features on the um, uh, the podcast sponsoring Blu-ray. Um, <laughs> you find out that the, the lead guard who shows up to deal with this crazy Asian family that's causing all kinds of havoc is Brian Lay, one of the two stunt coordinators. And yeah instead of casting actors and then finding stunt doubles for them, they cast stunt people in these various parts that have a a different um, varying layers of dialogue to perform facial acting to perform. And I think that's one of the reasons that so many of the action sequences work so well is that it's those little moments that really make things work. And, and the first taste of that we get, is with these poor IRS security guards who have no idea <laughs> what the hell they are about to walk into, um, no. and and in that fight, I mean, Kikwan is doing almost all of that himself, with with very few mm. exceptions. Um, as as much as I just like seeing people get injured, I love watching fight sequences. Um, how how did how did everybody uh, take this first big fight that we have uh, with the IRS guards uh, as as people retreat to lick their wounds uh, from the the wondrous Wongs? My mom compared it to Scott Pilgrim, where uh, the drama that happens is cut immediately by a fight that you don't expect coming out of nowhere. So that was my mom's cultural touch point for this movie. <laughs> Sandra, um, um, I love the bum bag beatdown. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I'm all for it. That was so fun. That was so fun. It was definitely, I would say that was the first moment in the movie of like, Oh my, Oh, that's what he's going to do. You know, like, cause up until then, nothing super crazy had happened. I don't know. I mean, there was the, the, the burner, the burner, uh, women and and um evelyn in the closet but that was different and uh yeah i just was like is he's i thought he's taking off his fanny pack so he can fight and that was i didn't know it would be a weapon and then i was delighted by that i and you know it part of me was like wow if this was really an irs office (laughs) There would be guns and people would get shot. So I'm glad that this is just a, a, a movie that is, you know, based in an, in an office that happens to be an IRS office. Mm-hmm. 
they were very scared of having to shoot in a wide open atrium like this. Again, thanks to Blu-ray for sponsoring this podcast. And so they found this <laughs> abandoned building that they yeah. refitted half of into the IRS setting and then dealt with all of that with the uh, big final showdown. But all the other sets and things were built in that building, too. It was everything yeah. everywhere all at once oh. headquarters. And I think that's they really cool. They took over this building. There's like, Yeah, it's a building in si- Simi Valley, I think, it, oh, where nice. the laundromat oh. is actually located. So... Anyway, yeah, yeah, people, I wouldn't say like listen to the commentary right away, but eventually get to it because there's <laughs> just too much, you know, interesting and, and delightful stuff you find out later that you would never figure out, obviously, from watching the film. Uh, this is also where we get Alpha Waymond revealing himself and uh, some of the world building of the story and philosophically uh, a piece of where the movie's coming from, which is wondering how we can get back to that time when you could trust your neighbors and um, things were different. And this isn't quite a like, just imagine, give me the good old days, you know, when everything was great for straight white men only kind of a thing. But there there has been a shift uh, where people don't trust their neighbors, um, generational trauma is doubled down upon rather than pushed back against. Um, and, and it feels like that's, that's what the movie is getting at and making that subtext texts, um, isn't something that always works in a movie for me, but here it does because it's being delivered by the, uh, multiversal brain jumping alternate version of Ki Kwan. Um, who I, I just, I immediately, there's something, there's a quality to him that I just trust whatever this guy is saying, no matter how ridiculous it is. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter what it is. Uh, and I, I think it's, I think it's lovely that we start looking at it that way and it doesn't come at us from the direction of my recurring issue with the show Westworld is that they, they win me back in each of the succession successive seasons that have happened. And then in the last couple episodes of each season, they go, get it, dummies. We're going to hammer you over the head with the themes and the imagery that you're supposed to be understanding. Do you get it? Do you get it? And everything everywhere is perfectly happy laying those seeds early on and just letting them blossom and bloom. Um, and, and this, this is where we get, I mean, one of those core bits of what the movie's getting at. And, um, and it's just, it's, it's dashed off real quick because, oh no, he doesn't have much time and we've got to save the multiverse. And that's as great of an excuse to, to self edit your dialogue than any other, which is the drama just has to keep moving along. Um, Moises, that's all great, but I can't imagine a more important conversation than this one we're having right now about everything everywhere all at once. I agree. <laughs> Conversations are important, Brian. And that's why we are having this conversation. And scene. Um, <laughs> I am paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Whenever Evelyn says to him, like, I, you know, not today. I have the party. I have the IRS. I can't, you know, I'm not saving the world today, whatever the story is. I was like... Yeah, that's what I would say. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's and that's busy. what we all say. It's no, I don't have time to slow down for a moment and enjoy life or or value what I do have. I'm too busy thinking about all of the things that are crumbling down around me. And then you look up and it's two weeks later. And um and it's like no time has passed, but uh all of the time has passed. Um so we get a glimpse into a, an an alternate Evelyn. Um, that was a movie star and, uh, and was the, the super fancy lady like, uh, like the, the movie stars she saw in the, um, 
racially insensitive musical that she glimpsed on the TV briefly earlier on, uh, she finally gets that and uh, and declares that her life would have been so good if she'd never gotten together with Waymond. And so it's it's very much the the classical story trope of no, you're not you're not learning the message of the movie yet. I see this is going to take approximately two and a half hours. Um, what, what's it like seeing this glimpse into the glamorous, the fantabulous, uh, Evelyn that is partially definitely, uh, drawn from stock footage of Michelle Yeoh being a fabulous, <laughs> uh, massive multinational <laughs> success. Uh, for me, it was one of those times where I was like, okay, it's Michelle Yeoh. Um, but it didn't draw me out of the story. What I did was really appreciate that she got as an actor to do so much more than we often had seen her do in English language films. Um, that as, uh, as our, I guess, our Evelyn, the, the first Evelyn we saw, you know, she's wearing minimal makeup um, and she just looks like a woman who's around that age, tired, you know, haggard, uh, she's got that line in her forehead from always like a furrowed brow, frowning and unhappy. Um, and of course she would love to be movie star Evelyn. I mean, wouldn't we all, <laughs> wouldn't we all, wouldn't we all <laughs> like to believe we're in a Wong Kar Wai film and in the mood for love or yeah. So, um, I think too, you know, it's speaking to the theme of this, one of the themes, there's so many themes in this film, but one of the themes of like, um, are you present to your life or are you always just chasing what you think you should have had? And if that's the case, then what, how are you sabotaging and destroying the life you actually ought to be living? And, um, I just love that commentary. I mean, as a writer, I'm always hoping, I'm always wanting to break people's hearts just a little bit, or maybe a lot bit. And so I love it. I love watching in, in the media that I consume. I love seeing that theme right? Um, is this going to break the character or, or not? Or maybe just break them a little bit. I want to see how that's going to go. So you know that that way lies madness for Evelyn, but it, it was um, a great thematic touch point. So we've, uh, we've seen uh, Plaid Vader, uh, we've seen Jobu Tupaki uh, <laughs> shrouded, uh, and now we have it revealed that Alpha Evelyn uh, created the monster that threatens the multiverse by stop me if this sounds familiar uh pushing too hard to make her child an overachiever um and defy impossible levels of expectation um boy that that hit home for me for gee i don't know how many uh uh reasons um but i giving giving it the the fate of the multiverse level implications is ridiculous on its face but the concept of a multiverse is also kind of ridiculous um, uh, in terms of what we are able to perceive or what uh, many or most of us have perceived. Um, I, again, I, I like the way that the movie sets up these stakes as impossibly grave, impossibly serious, and make it as relatable as what everybody goes through uh, and the way that they are pushed by parents who want them to have a better life, want them to do better than they did. Um, especially, uh, poignant for those of us, uh, first generation kids. Um, I, that the, the, the idea of the central villain of the movie being a, a kid broken by the expectations of their parent whose intentions are to only want the best for them. Um, 
just uh, just in- incredibly, incredibly vivid and incredibly relatable in in an era where test scores and GPAs and what universities you do and don't get into um, is is phrased to kids like literally everything that you do with your life. Everything is a life or death thing. The fate of the universe uh, hinges on whether you get an A plus or an A on that test. And frankly, everything's going to crumble down around you unless you're completely perfect all the time. Um, how did the, how did the, the parental pressure bit, um, at this stage of things, uh, play for everybody, uh, with the, the setup that we already had? Uh, for the record, I have to state categorically, I have no idea what you're talking about, Moises, in terms of <laughs> parental pressure. That's my formal statement. I mean, do, do, does it does it help? Uh, see, you know, having it set up this way, where um, where it's it's made, uh, it, it's framed in in fantastical terms, um, and uh, and 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 allowed to be uh, the kind of uh, you know wild and woolly thing that it is. I think absolutely. I think it speaks again to how they've grounded all the science fiction aspects and the you know wackadoodle aspects in a very human. Um, interaction, a very human predicament, situation, circumstance. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you said it. The sci-fi elements don't have any real gravitas unless there's that real world analog and connection. And as soon as that moment happened, I said, oh, I see the lesson that Evelyn's going to learn at the end of the movie. (laughs) And flipping back around to the fantastical, we get uh, Jobu Tupaki in an Elvis lounge suit um, stage suit, uh, with a pig. Uh, we watch her confetti explode a guy's head. Um, she takes a bong rip off of a gun. Um, she gives a guy a luchador pile driver. Um, and (laughs) Stephanie Shue bless all of creation for the fact that we get Stephanie Shue giving this a thousand and ten percent. Um, and um, tosses off uh, a line about how in this universe it's weird that her mom is still hung up on the fact that she likes girls. And um, this is where everything everywhere starts to get yet wilder than it seemed that it was going to when there was suddenly a Kung Fu uh, fight in the middle of an IRS um, office. Um, and it's it's nihilism versus yes, things matter. Um I guess uh, the the next waypoint that we get to is the introduction of Alpha Gong Gong uh, that I wanted to address while we're on the subject of of generational trauma because if we thought the um, the pressure on uh, on Joy from her mom was a lot, boy, Alpha Gong Gong's a piece of work. Um, he's just going to take a straight razor to his uh, to his uh, granddaughter's neck. Um, uh, layering this in, um, th- in this middle section of the extended first act of things. Um, how, how do we feel once we get to that breather point, um, after we meet Alpha Gong Gong, when all of our central four, uh, our fantastic four family members finally get to be themselves again? Um, any, any bits that you wanted to talk about or discuss, um, once we get to there, uh, this, this is where discussing the movie is something that I went, I think we do need two panels for this because it's so incredibly nonlinear that it's difficult to go, okay. And then this happens and this happens because <laughs> while this is happening, seven other layers of things are happening in the way that somebody looked at somebody else with their eyes. 
That's uh, right. I mean, was was anybody else relieved when we finally got to just take a moment to be back with the original universe version of all four of those characters? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and just like uh, quickly about Alpha Gung Gung. And I think it bears mentioning, you said, Moises, like he wanted to just take a slit his granddaughter's throat, but he he wanted to, but he sent someone else to do his dirty work. And I think that is just like the, the perfect metaphor for that character. <laughs> for me, the line reading of the movie is uh, James Hong going, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Again, in the... Um... The director's commentary from this scene, they talk about um, James Hong, how he, you know, would like to be in the center of the scenes uh, as much as possible. And it was like getting himself in the camera, uh, you know, frame, it, it, which now I have to watch it yet again, which I don't mind. I, I say have to, but I want to. I mean, I feel like <laughs> I have a few more, at least a few more watches in it, but it, it's very funny because it. It, it sort of speaks to the the playfulness and like individuality that was uh, going on on the set, which is that's he's trying to do a thing, sort of like move his wheelchair a little bit more into the into the frame, and and they leave it in, you know. So we we start uh, yet another chaotic, uh, multi layered sequence of all kinds of things. We've got Jenny Slate using a, a dog as a flail. Um, we we have the uh, hibachi chef uh, Evelyn uh, and Harry Shum Jr. pops back up. Um, we we have all manner of crazy things happen, including uh, Michelle Yeoh dancing poorly, which is the sign of a great actor. When you know someone is a, as incredible of a dancer as Michelle Yeoh is, when they can su- successfully convince you that a character they're playing is bad at a thing that they are <laughs> legendarily good at. Um, and uh, all, all sorts of madness and chaos converge. And sadly... The movie ends on a very down note. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I was worried about talking about this movie on the show uh, when it, it has such an incredibly unsatisfying ending. Um, but I feel like, you know, the the, the good stuff was good. Uh, but no, it isn't really the end of the movie. It's the end of the movie <laughs> that is being viewed in actress Evelyn's um multiversal home and she is having a bit of a not out of body but out of universe experience um and we we jump uh here there and everywhere um and this is where part two of the movie begins roughly an hour and a half into the (laughs) runtime of the film um and for a moment on my first viewing i thought oh no (laughs) how long is this? Um, (laughs) how I, I really hope, I really hope the second part is not the same length as the first part, because I thought the movie was only two hours and 40 minutes long, but okay, we'll see. Only. (laughs) Um, but, but yeah, this, this middle section that we jump into, um, I was very, I was very pleasantly surprised, um, by, by, the next uh, direction that they took us in. Cause at this point I was completely lost on knowing where they were taking us next um, because we had the rules established and then all of the rules broke and shattered into a thousand pieces. Um, let's, let's talk about the um, uh, everywhere sequence um, of sequence of sequences uh, where we eventually um, have no choice, but to have a, a uh, an audio-free, subtitled-only conversation between two rocks. 
I remember watching this movie and thinking, oh, everyone's talking about how wild this movie is with all the different multiverse things and how overwhelming it can be. I remember watching it and thinking, oh, I hope it gets there. I really hope it's like really amps up the uh, insanity of what happens. And then everywhere begins and we do all that weird verse jumping between Evelyn and Joe Pachapaki. And I remember vividly watching this movie and thinking, oh my God, there's a two minute sequence that's just a strobing of different universes all back to back. And I remember my brain melted. It was my favorite thing I'd seen in a movie in so many years, just that long extended sequence of all the different universes of Evelyn. And I remember thinking, wow, that was great. I want this to go even more. I wish there was more. I, I thought there was no way the movie could be too much. And then I saw some of the deleted scenes, and they were great deleted scenes, but I can see why they cut them. And I'm going to leave that as an exercise for the listener and for y'all to go in and watch, because there's some great ones that they cut for good reasons. <laughs> for the record, I want a poster. I want that poster of all the little thumbnails of all the different Evelyns and all the yeah. different multiverses. I, I exact same. Exact <laughs> same. Uh, and, you know, uh, I, I may just assemble such a thing for myself and I'll just pass it along your direction. Yeah. Oh, good. I was going to say, somebody make it happen. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, this section of things is where we get, I mean, for me, the big line of the movie and as great of a line as it is uh, that Key gets to say as, as Wonkar Y. Waymond, um, Michelle Yeoh's reaction to it is is the heart of the movie that that um, that takes us to yet further heights, uh, where he tells her that in another life uh, he would have been happy just doing uh, just doing laundry and taxes with her, and that's it. Like that's 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 what we what we all want is is the boring life that isn't so boring in in other ways. Um, but but for me that that's that's really my favorite moment in the movie is that combined with the reaction shot of, of how that lands for Michelle Yeoh. Um, so we, we have a lot of stuff that happens between here and the end of the movie, but it's difficult for me to think of like discussing it in anything resembling a conventional way, because I kind of just want to talk about how from here to the end, that roller coaster um, makes me feel um, kicking off with Chobu Tupaki telling her mom that she just wanted somebody who understood how she feels and making that um, Darth Vader's uh, inverted um, uh, inverted request to Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the roles are reversed, but it's the join me, join the dark side, um, join, join nihilism. It's great over here. Nihilism is great. And watching this journey of Evelyn embracing the superpower that is understanding and acceptance and how that is really, that's really what, what wins out. Um, and, and taking us thrillingly toward a denouement where we get Mandarin interacting with Cantonese, interacting with English and, and crossing those bridges of the generational trauma that we discussed earlier and so on. Um, how, how does the, this last bit of the ride taking us into reforming and, uh, and re, um, firming the foundations of the multiverse? Um, how, how does this last section of the ride land for everybody? I've seen this movie five times. I cry every time. <laughs> yeah. 
that I've only seen it four times. I cry every time. I will be surprised if I don't cry next time. But I do feel it's uh, what was the content from that point on, you know, so when when we're going to all of these these uh, universes and uh, um, is kind of more of what I was expecting from the whole film. Um, I think the way that they set up the multiverses was actually, you know, much more uh, subtle and elegant than I was, you know, that they weren't just crashing around in the beginning, you know, they were all coming to one place, but then to send them, send the characters into all of these uh, situations and let us appreciate like how, how many options there were and how they, um, you know, how they all come together. Uh, I will say pizza uh, sign Michelle Yeoh is also one of my favorites. <laughs> I was like, when I first saw that she was doing that, I was like, that's okay. That who, who thinks yeah, that's of a that? choice. Okay. Who thinks of that? But then when, you know, that payoff in the, in the fight scene where she, She's uh, a shield as the pizza sign person was using the sign. I thought that was really cool. You know, you know that the one time when Wayman says to Evelyn, you're capable of anything because you're so bad at everything. Yeah. And the first time I, first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's really interesting. And then it wasn't until the second time that, oh, I get it. That means because all the other multiverse Evelyn's are quite close to this Evelyn so she could access them all quickly. Oh, I got it. Like, I just love that. Um, and just also like to answer your question, Moises, about, you know, how did the the back half, back third land? I really thought it was such a feat that the Daniels and the actors and everyone, um, there was not a single cheap joke anywhere in this mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. And I think that could have been very tempting for other filmmakers. And I think because of that, and they, 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 they hung on to that. Um, I think Brian, what you call like the gravitas of, you know, the real world aspects, as opposed to the sci-fi, uh, the not so sci-fi stuff, because they, they hung on to that gravitas. Then like the emotional payoff was like, so good. So, so good. When you just see like, all joy needs is someone to understand that um, she's depressed and she just needs her mother to love her the way she is. And like mm-hmm. that, just like, no wonder we're always crying at this film <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> we all have that. We all have that. And there are moments, you know, for different people, you may not have it for very long. Sometimes you do have it and the times you don't have it, it feels even worse, whatever it might be. But um, I loved how they just like pulled everything together. And just that one moment when they're confronting one another as like two human beings in the parking lot, a mother Mm -hmm. and a daughter, a woman and a younger woman, Mm -hmm. uh, one with like all of this disappointment in her life already happening, having happened, I should say. And then the other younger woman all she sees is disappointment in her life to come. And like, how are they going to engage with each other together or apart? Oh, I just loved it so much. Loved it so much. It broke my heart and it mended <laughs> it all at the same time. 
Some, something that you just uh, reminded me of was uh, one of the most touching bits for me was uh, Deirdre sitting down with Evelyn outside the laundromat after she's um, after she's uh, um, uh, taken a bat to the window and just uh, Deirdre seeing Evelyn in a way for the very first time and relating to her and <laughs> confiding and commiserating, you know, about the, the breakdown of her own marriage and it being as, as fun as the goofy weirdo stuff that Jamie Lee Curtis got to do up to that point, getting to see her do that earnest bit, um, for me embodies what I, what I love that we see so much of in this back third of the movie is people, instead of talking past each other, hearing each other because they are listening to each other for the first time and, and how that is really knitting together so many of these uh, missed connections across the, the multiverse of, of communication. I mean, we, we've got Joy and Evelyn both telling each other, you know, I just want you to understand me. I just want you to hear me. I just want you to see me. And finally breaking, breaking down that barrier, breaking through that barrier and actually seeing and hearing each other for the first time. It's just, um, yeah. I, I, I think, I think this is, this is one of the ways in which it is difficult for me to talk about this movie, um, to folks that are more looking for the bullet points of the, the plot events mm -hmm. that happen in a given thing, breaking something out because it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's emotional waypoints. It is, it is like the incredibly subjective sense memories that I have that link me to so many of these conversations and confrontations that different people have. Uh, Jeannie, were you going to say something? Um, just, um, about the whole uh, sequence, fight sequence, I say fight in quotation marks, at the end with the, with the bagel of, <laughs> the everything bagel of despair and all the, um, you know, when Evelyn switches to, um, from fighting to trying to um, engage and uh, put people back together, and so that whole s sequence of like each person, um, you know, she tried to uh, understand what um, what made them tick and make it better. And, and then that Kung Fu moment of taking the, the fight pose into a, open arms and a hug. Yeah. I mean, that was so it was definitely that for the characters, you know, connecting with each other, but also the message, you know, that Evelyn had finally gotten, which is. We have to connect with everybody, you know, on a human to human level, which is, you know, an interesting result from a really bonkers sci-fi movie. <laughs> this movie shouldn't work. Like on paper, it shouldn't come together as cohesively as it does, considering how mm -hmm. much is going on and how absurd some of the things that are going on are. And yet it grounds it all in the end with the rocks and the scene in the parking lot and everything that y'all have mentioned. I think it is a triumph of like the film genre, the film medium, everything that there is to be said about this movie. I think <laughs> the fact that it even comes together and we feel something by the end is magical. I would argue that, um, um, Brian, like that is what makes the best science fiction films is this mm -hmm. like the grounding in um, the themes 
of like humanity. Oh, that sounds so pretentious. I don't mean it that way. That was great. That, that, that's, that's like the kind of thing that you want to hear on a panel at a science fiction convention, you know, that, that, that inspires hope in, in the written word. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, final thoughts. Any any other uh, things uh, hanging around out there, kicking around across the uh, the various waypoints in the multiverse uh, that the three of you wanted to get out there before we wrapped up? Oh my God, Randy Newman plays Rakakuni. I had no idea. Yeah. I'm looking at Wikipedia what? now. That's m- oh, amazing. Yeah. Yep. It is Randy Newman. That is actually Randy Newman saying, "We're a family." <laughs> culinarily. That is actually him. Oh yeah. my lord! And actually, the soundtrack—that um, was one of uh, pieces of homework we had in our class to listen to it. Um, it weirdly stuck, you know, stuck in my head now. At least, like the David Byrne, um, the opening thing. But throughout, yeah, the music is really something. And actually, you know, just how that music came together is a whole story in itself. So there's so many ways you can can dig into this film but uh for when we were wrapping up in our class and the the teacher asked us each like sort of go around in a circle to say what they you know any you know what you're asking us basically Moises um and it's about I don't know 15 18 people and Portland a, a very diverse Portland group <laughs> so in terms of age and um genders and everything and I just to me it was I said like this the fact I don't know any of you people really you know we're in this class together I don't know you personally but we all love this film and we all you know I think we're you know I could guess that we all have very very widely differing tastes in film and 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 likes and dislikes yet we all come together uh to love this film and I think that it gives me hope that they made this film that's so upbeat um, in its, you know, message uh, that pe- people really grasp the idea that maybe nothing matters, but that's then we get to do whatever we want because nothing matters. It's a good thing. That's that's revolutionary. So anyway, that's how I feel. I think this movie brings people together or, or it can. And I hope as many people can, you know, keep being interested in seeing it and um, hopefully watch it more than once. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And like speaking to that, I absolutely recommend endorse people watching it way more than twice. I will definitely be watching it again. And I just want to leave you all with my just happened revelation. Okay. That's, the googly eye, just one googly eye is like the negative of the bagel. So instead of <gasps> black around and uh, empty in the middle, it's white around and there's a little black dot in the middle. Uh, I just got oh that. Oh my God, that's amazing. I oh. just got that, people. Oh, I never got that. And Wow. <laughs> right? God, I love this film. Brian, anything else to add? I love this movie with my entire, entire heart. And that's all that you need to say. <laughs> Sometimes that's all that you need is something that simple. Well, I'll, I'll, uh, you know, a, a little button of mine is, um, you know, like everything bagels, sometimes some things are just horrible universe destroying forces of destruction and deserve to be put in the garbage. Uh, like everything bagels. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, I do. <laughs> I, I am not fond of everything bagels. Uh, I, I think I think this is the one thing that we haven't addressed. How does the rest of the panel feel about everything bagels, Brian? It's the only bagel. It's my favorite no. bagel. Oh my god! Okay. Oh, oh, I, I no. was so close to no. you all. Yeah, Sandra, no, please no. don't disappoint me. I, I am not a fan of everything bagels. We're evenly split. Good. At least we it's are. even. At least we, we have two <laughs> clearly defined sides that can be adversaries until we, we wreck the multiverse. Um, kidding aside, one of the things that I love about this movie and that I look forward to with this movie going forward is introducing it to people. As much as I will enjoy watching it on my own, I love that. Every friend that I've spoken to about it, there's been a different, oh, this is the first thing I am dying to talk to you about. Oh my God, I have got to talk to you Mm -hmm. about this thing that I noticed, that I felt, that this character said, that was an interesting callback to this other thing. Um, it, It itself springs forth such a multiverse of different instant reactions from people. It is it is something of an inkblot test of there are so many things to see in it and you can see loads of depth or you can just see something that looks pretty and like somebody spilled a bottle of ink and had to clean it up somehow. Uh, so while we are all cleaning up after our messes and also acknowledging that sometimes our messes are in fact what make us unique and lovely and wonderful, uh, it remains only for me to thank my panel once again. Gene McDonald, thanks. Thank you, Moises. And, uh, you know, just be a rock. That's my motto now. (laughs) Uh, Sandra Wong, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on here. And I just want everyone to think of me with googly eyes. (laughs) (laughs) And to some people, they're a cousin. To some, they're an uncle. To some, they are a sibling. Brian Hamilton, thanks for joining us. Um, off to another universe. Bye. <laughs> uh, that is going to do it this week for the incomparable. Uh, stay tuned, or maybe you are staying tuned with us uh, for the uh, the other episode on everything, everywhere, all at once. Hopefully, you find something within this multiverse that is not madness, uh, or at least uh, gives you something valuable to hang on to while cruising the multiverse, looking for the hot dog fingers to take you home. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>